Welcome to Pairing Episode 6, Women in Wine. I am so excited about this one that I decided to release it a week earlier than usual. We'll be back to our normal release schedule starting next week, so you can consider this a bonus episode of sorts. We recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago on International Women's Day, and even though, as I acknowledge, it would have been way, way better to release this actually on Women's Day, it's still Women's History Month, and there is, indeed, no day like every day to celebrate women. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, and as you'll hear, we get inspired to make a lot of other episodes, so let us know what we mentioned that you want to hear more about. A more thorough title for this one would be Women in Wine and Women in Art and Pop Culture and Representation and Intersectionality and Equality and a lot of other things. We talk about women in wine from France to Italy to Argentina to South Africa and women in art from the Italian Renaissance to Alien to Black Panther. We're only just grazing the surface, and I at least am excited to delve much more deeply into these subjects. A few disclaimers before we dive in. We talk a fair amount in this episode about representation and equality, mostly in the wine and entertainment industries, not only as it applies to women, but also as it applies to people of color and people of diverse backgrounds. However, we are two cis white people talking, and so we cannot speak to the experiences of people of color, trans people, and other underrepresented groups. If you count yourself as one of these people and want to talk to me about your experience in wine, art, or anywhere else, I would love to hear your story. I stand by my statement that intersectionality is paramount right now, as is celebrating those that are other than yourself. I am excited to be seeing these seeds of change in the entertainment industry, and I am looking forward to seeing this spread into the wine world soon. I also want to include a content warning. We do mention an instance of sexual assault in this episode. We don't go into any great detail, but we know that these issues can be triggering and upsetting, and so I wanted to make sure to alert you beforehand. I also want to encourage you, if you are in need of support, to call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. Last but not least, I would like to apologize to Alicia Vikander, who is a marvelous actor, for utterly butchering the details of her career. I'm sorry, Alicia, and I definitely don't hate you. Thank you all so much for listening. If you are enjoying pairing, please tell your friends and family and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes. It makes a huge difference in boosting our ratings and getting more people to listen in. Without further ado, here is Episode 6, Women in Wine. If we close the door, then Kitty will come in in like two seconds. So. Okay. Yeah. There we go. So today is International Women's Day. <laughs> which, if I'd had more hindsight, foresight, if I'd had more foresight, I have hindsight now. Um, if I'd had more foresight, I would have suggested that we record this so that we could release the episode on International Women's Day. But you know what? There's no time like every day to celebrate women, right? Absolutely. Am I right? Does she come does she need to come in? Maybe. And cats. There she is. She's the Hi, queen. Little one. I know. 
she's pretty excited that it's International Women's Day, too. So, so here we are. So Winston's got some fun ideas. I've got some fun ideas of what I want to talk about. But just to start off, um, I wanted to talk about the wine that we're drinking tonight. Please do. Which, unsurprisingly, is made by not one, not two, but three women winemakers who oh. are all sisters in the Rhone Valley in France. So this is the Ma de Libyan Cote de Rhone, and specifically it is the Cayam Cuvée. So this particular bottle was named after the 11th century Persian poet Omar Khayyam, who you may or may not have heard of, who apparently wrote hundreds of quatrains celebrating women and wine. So I thought, what could be a more perfect bottle to drink while talking about women on International Women's Day? The answer is nothing. Nothing could be more perfect. And apparently, I, I, we won't talk about it right now, but Omar Khayyam is a very, very interesting figure, and it, it would be fun to talk about him as well. But not right now, because we're, we're focusing on women for this episode. Faux show. Faux show. So, Winston, have you tasted the wine yet? I have not. You have not. Okay, let's... All right. Oh. We're gonna give it a little, little, little give swishy. It, give it the swishy and the glassy. Mm-hmm. And then the sniffy. Mm, sniffing. Oh, I love this oh, it wine. Smells nice. This is the 2015 um, of this wine. 2015 was a spectacular vintage, particularly in this part of France, in the Rhone Valley and in Beaujolais, but pretty much everywhere in Europe, 2015 was just a killer vintage. It smells just like floral and fruity and, and but beautiful. But deep, like kind of like blackberry, raspberry yeah. fruit to it, a little bit of kind of cassis and a little spice to it. I, I, I adore this wine. I'm going to have a sippy. Yeah. Which, by the way, as you just listen to us swirl the wine in our mouths obnoxiously, I realize, I don't know if I've talked about the real reason why that why sommeliers do that, why we do that when we're tasting wine. Lay it down. We'll pick it up. So basically, I mean, there's maybe a more scientific explanation of it, but it when you swirl the, the wine in your mouth, and you don't have to make a lot of noise while you do it, but basically you're coating your whole mouth with the wine because... You've got a million taste buds, and so if you just drink the wine, you're only going to hit so many taste buds. If you swirl it, you get it, like, in every crevice of your mouth. And if you're like me, you stain your teeth purple, which, worth it, and you you fully get to experience all the tastes of the wine. It, it There is a reason behind it. It's not just obnoxious. I just wanted to point that out. So It's interesting. It reminds me of the the like asian tradition of um slurping a little bit when you have your soup it's mm -hmm. not it's not i mean part of it is etiquette and just saying like oh yeah enjoy the soup thanks for the soup but also it brings a little bit more oxygen mm -hmm. in and so that's also part of it bringing in oxygen you, you know taste the soup and everything yeah. as much as possible yeah also the oxygen thing that's that's the thing which isn't there a isn't there a TV network called Oxygen, which is mostly focused on women centric programming. Uh, programming, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, it comes full circle. <laughs> that was a stretch. I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. So anyway, we're drinking this delicious Cotarone. So Cotarone coming from the Rhone Valley in France and the kind of southeast region of France. 
Cotarones are some of my favorite wines. And I, for some reason, I've just been craving Cotarone recently. I've got like three or four Cotarones on the rack or in, in the quote-unquote cellar right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have a cellar. Just have a rack and a little wine cooler. Um, so what I so what I was thinking, I, I wanted to just start out talking about women and wine a little bit. And then we can kind of talk about some some of your ideas of like representation of women in art and pop culture. Um, and I could talk about some women, some of my favorite women winemakers and maybe who we can match up with different female figures and art and pop culture. How does that sound? Very nice. Also, I just want to say up front that I, I recognize the irony of it being International Women's Day and me, um, you know, man, manning around and, yeah. and and being here. And I just want to say... God, like, you're such a man. Well, I just, I have, I have no authority. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. I was watching a bunch of videos of women kicking ass today, um, as one does. But it's important, it's important as, as we're realizing more and more that intersectionality and celebrating people who are other than you and different than you is really important and supporting, supporting people who are not you specifically, Winston, but just in general, as, as a society, it's important and valuable for us to recognize value and support and celebrate each other. So... Just talking about women, talking about the wine profession. So, so like most professions, I mean, the the obviously Hollywood is sort of coming to the forefront um, right now in terms of the discrepancy between women and men and how women are treated. But you know, you're also seeing it in the restaurant industry. A lot of chefs and restaurateurs are being. Uh, called out right now for sexual harassment and abuse like, and bunch of NPR hosts, Sherman Alexi. Oh they were man, just, yeah, I love it's, his poetry, it's but endless. The, it's, it's endless. You know, a lot of people, and thank yeah. God that it's finally coming out. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. But just tying it back into the wine industry, you know, in in terms of the wine industry right now, like many professions, the the wine world is definitely a boys' club. I can say, as a woman working in the wine industry, much, much less so than it used to be. Um, and there's many, many women working in wine. But I think at this point, it's like, I want to say a third, maybe maybe 40%. That's being generous. More and more women are becoming sommeliers and winemakers to the point that, as wine writer Vicki Denick points out, it seems ridiculous and even insulting to refer to women in the wine world as quote-unquote female sommeliers or quote-unquote female winemakers or female beverage directors or female wine writers. Um, she has an article, which I recommend checking out, called um, Why I Hate Female Sommeliers and So Should You. Um, and it's on the online blog Vine Pair. And it, it was published on November 28th, 2016, so it was a little while ago, but I recommend checking it out. It's still It's still relevant it's it's becoming easier easier to be a woman in the wine industry you know there's like drips and drabs exactly exactly and and something that i want to talk about in a later episode and we can touch upon in this episode as well and we will the the issue in the wine world for me right now more than women being involved is people of color and people of different socioeconomic statuses because 
more than anything, the wine world is sort of an elitist club. It, it's something that I'm excited about seeing change in in the yeah. future. So, well, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was go just going to say, so more and more women are becoming uh, prominent figures in the wine world, both as winemakers, uh, wine scholars, sommeliers, uh, servers, beverage directors, all, all that. And, and I want to see more of that, not just for women, but for people of color and people of uh, more, more diverse backgrounds. What's interesting to me is that it seems like some of the most prominent women in the wine world are actually scholars. So I've, I've mentioned Karen McNeil before who wrote the Wine Bible, Jancis Robinson, who has her own website and blog, which if you're interested in learning more about wine, check out jancisrobinson.com. And she, so she's the writer of the Wine Atlas and the Oxford Companion to Wine. She's huge, huge, hugely respected. Um, like she is la creme de la creme of wine scholarship. You know, so it's interesting to me that women are able to break into an academic setting in wine a little more easily than than into different other other settings. That being said, there's there's so many women winemakers in the world and and I'm going to talk about a few of them during this episode, which I'm excited to do, but I also just wanted to point out that this this just reminds me of, you know, it's a it's another little microcosm of any profession, but also to me, what I see in terms of the arts and, you know, most visibly right now, like Hollywood, it's, it's hard for women. You know, there's so few female directors. We were just watching the Oscars. Greta Gerwig was the first female director nominated in eight years. Eight years. Oh my God. That is so, so sad to me. So that... And Ava DuVarnay was the very first woman of color to direct a hundred million plus budget movie and it's being critically panned and I can already tell that the reaction in Hollywood is going to be like well you know let's I mean we'll see how it does at the box office but it's it's getting very scathing reviews I think it's like 42 percent on Rotten Tomatoes and I can already see like women of color directors and auteurs and and writers being punished for that in a way that a male director, even a, even a man of color, you know, might not be, would not be. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen that yet, and I can't, I can't not, attest I to, I can't attest to that either. But I, I am sensing that you're probably right. But on the other hand, Patty Jenkins, um, first female director of a of a Marvel franchise movie, or not Marvel. Um, I'm sorry, uh, DC. Oh, um, for, from for, Wonder Woman. For Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was that was very successful and critically acclaimed so you know little steps but she's white so right and it's uh, <laughs> and the studio has such an enmeshed male culture i think or an ingrained male culture that the initial reaction is they're going to want to treat these as you know anomalies yeah or aberrations even yeah. though you know wonder woman smashed worldwide box office and yeah. black panther is crushing like it's still a very very ironically conservative culture totally Um, absolutely because it's corporate you know and as is as is the wine world in many many ways and many senses it's again slowly but surely it's changing a little bit every day in a little 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 baby steps but the sexism the everything that i've experienced just working in the wine world is 
quite tangible. Yeah, there's nothing to be content about. No. But anyway, but there's some really great things, and there's some really awesome women working in wine who are some of the greatest winemakers, wine professionals in the biz. And so um, I wanted to talk about some of them, and then and maybe that will lead into some of your ideas. Well, whatever, maybe, maybe yeah, not. You yeah, go, we'll, you go for it. We'll figure it out. But so, so first of all, so let's talk about the three women making who made this wine that we're drinking. The Tibon family bought this estate in 1670. That's a little while ago. Um, and I don't even know how many generations in they are. But um, these three sisters, their father is Jean-Pierre, and, um, and he's the one who sort of decided that this estate would be, that they, they would really direct their energy to wine. And um, the three sisters' names are Helen, Catherine, and Cécile. Um, Helen and Catherine, I think, work mostly doing the winemaking, and Cecile does enology or the study, the study, the, the study of wine. Got it. Got <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> Even better. Um, in Bordeaux, so um, a little bit to the west. And um, my favorite, one of my favorite things is that Catherine, she, so, so they, they farm their, their estate entirely biodynamically, which I've mentioned a little bit before, but biodynamics just means organic and then some. It's, it's extra organic. Yeah, they're doing like cycles of the moon. Yeah, yeah. So basically the vines are planted, picked, harvested, uh, crushed, fermented in tandem with phases of the moon there's a buried cow horn full of poop in the ground to fertilize the soil there's there's all sorts of fun cool stuff we'll definitely get into biodynamics at some point but um so so they're farming biodynamically and apparently um Catherine has two workhorses, one named Nestor and one named Bambi <laughs> it's a nice yeah, mix right? of uh, yeah. fictional creatures. Yeah, Nestor and Bambi. Um, and so they're 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 just amazing. And this this wine is just one of the wines that they make. And I think I think it's just spectacular. I think it's so so good. And it's not that expensive. We had it on special this this month for thirteen ninety nine. I think so. It's, it's normally probably closer to like twenty dollars a bottle. But they have another another Cotarone called Boudizan. That's yeah, like. $15 on the shelf or something like that. So it's it's very, very reasonable for oh how good it for is. How, yeah, right? I was going to say, for, even if this is 20 bucks a bottle, like yeah. that's, it's that's a, real what good. a bargain. Yeah, Cotarones, I'm telling you folks, those are often great bargain wines. Sometimes they're not terrific, but they're often really, really good for the price they are. This one is spectacular. So thinking about these three sisters, I mean... That obviously makes me think of like there's there's so many three women in yeah. mythology. The fates, there's the, the witches. fates, the witches, and and I wonder I wonder why that is like where the rule of three came from. I mean it's important in in like Wicca and witchcraft yeah. and paganism. Well, but... I mean just to just to go off that, yeah. it, uh, if I can mansplain a little bit on International Women's Day. Here we go, folks. No, but I mean like <laughs> what I kind of thought it was was. This rule of three has to do with the stages of the life cycle, you know. Maiden, mother, crone. But so yeah, so I thought I thought these these ladies are are pretty awesome and pretty cool. 
So the next the next winemaker that I wanted to talk about is an Italian winemaker actually in Sicily, and her name is Ariana Occhipinti, and she is one of the youngest and like she's like a rock star winemaker. I think she's she's just barely 30 at this point, maybe maybe in her early to mid 30s. And her uncle was a um, already established big winemaker, and she, like, by the age of 24, was blowing people away um, with her amazing, amazing wines. Um, and she, so she's got her own, she's got a couple labels. Um, she's got Okipinti, and Tammy is sort of her introductory label, which I think she made first for a restaurant in Sicily, um, but then... Uh, but then just she just kept making the wine, um, and those are a little bit more affordable. But she works with uh, Frappato, Nero d'Avola, maybe a little Norella Mascalese. This probably means very little are these to the you. Grapes? These are grapes, yeah. yes, okay. in, in Sicily. Sicilian wine is some of my favorite, and I think it's up and coming. And so she she's considered a seminal figure in a new generation of wine and winemakers and so she's she's kind of a rock star so i'm curious who that might make you think of in terms of like pop culture history art you know like okay so she's young she's super young but she's coming from like a a long heritage yeah she's got a a legacy in winemaking okay all right so I'm just kind of spitballing here. Yeah, I have yeah, yeah. not prepared this in neither, any way. Neither have I. But um, the first person that comes to mind mm-hmm. is uh, Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. Mm. You know, because she... That's not where I would have gone, but... She has yeah. this heritage of, you know, being a great British archaeologist, which, you know, comes with its own problematic imperialism stuff. But Sure, sure. But she has to take over at a young age, and she's, old, you know, she's super badass. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the movie remake they're doing right now, the, um, I can't remember her name, but the woman who's been cast as Laura Croft has done all her yeah. own stunts for the film. She also, she won an Oscar a couple of years ago. <clears throat> Did she? For what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for the, oh, I can't remember. Not for the movie with Eddie Redmayne, though she is in that, about Stephen Hawking. Oh, yeah. Okay. The Theory of but, Everything. Yeah. But I think... Or maybe she went for that. But no, I think she played a... I think she played a trans character. Oh, because that was yeah. another Eddie Redmayne movie. Oh, was it? Yeah. It was was it Carol or something no, like that. that's where he played a trans character. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm conflating things. But <laughs> I'm... I need to look her up. I also forget her name. The other... Um, I mean, just going with pop culture... I guess Katniss comes up, you know, all the sort of I was youthful thinking, dystopian. I was thinking of J-Law. I was thinking of Jennifer Lawrence yeah. who, as kind of like a young rock star. Yeah. Well, I mean, she crushes so hard in Winter's yeah. Bone. Yeah. Yeah. Like She's her first so movie. Good. So, so good. Anyway, uh, what's another one? Alicia Vikander is her name. Vikander, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and she also plays the, in that movie we saw on one of our first dates, about with Oscar Isaac. Oh, and... oh, she's the robot yeah, in yeah. um whatchamacallit? Wow, we're getting old people. <laughs> we can't remember anything. Whatchamacallit? Whatchamacallit the movie? That young gal. Yes. In the... <laughs> 
Wait, what? She's married to Michael Fassbender? Oh, wow. I hate her. Winning. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but kind of not. I'm just going to... Ex Machina is the Ex movie Machina. that we were thinking Goodness of. gracious. <laughs> and the Danish girl. Yes. Okay, so I'm, I am confusing it. I don't think she was in the theory of everything. I, I may have made that up. But she was in the Danish girl, but and she won best supporting actress for that. Very nice. Yeah. Um, I was gonna reference an, an a, a real life artist, but coming from a long time ago that w- we love and has played an important role in our lives. Um, Artemisia Gentileschi. Heck yeah. Because who is a Renaissance painter, an Italian Renaissance painter. Tell painter. them the story, baby. Well, okay. So here's the story of how Winston and I met. Um, we were in a play in uh, for a theater company called Strange Harbor. Shout out to Zach Tomlinson and Rosa Schneider. Hope you're listening. And um, and so, well, I was performing in it from the beginning. I was. It was sort of a devised dance theater piece. Meaning you kind of come up with it on the Yeah, go, you come up right? with You create it yourself. There's not a set script. We yeah. created the script together yeah. from found text. Yeah, and, you got source material. And, you got like a theme, but you kind of... Exactly. And so the, the, the inspiration for this play was the biblical story of Judith, who beheads Holofernes... I think he's an Assyrian general. I think he's an Assyrian general. Yes, basically to save her village. So it's it's this strange story in the Bible that's off forgot, where it's a female hero defending her town. And it's not in the Protestant Bible, which is very interesting. interesting. That's very interesting. Like it's in the but, Apocrypha, and it's in I think certain versions of the Catholic Bible, but it is yeah. not in. Like my mom and I had this whole to do about it where she was like that's not one of the actual books in the bible and i had to look it up and i finally found that it it is in many -hmm. versions of the catholic bible but it is not in any prominent version of uh the protestant bible including the king james yeah um except maybe as an apocryphal book it's really interesting really interesting wonder why they cut it out a story about a woman who uh, she's widowed um at the time but basically her the i'm not thinking of the right word but you know their their town is being besieged by an the Assyrian army and no one is brave enough to go fight or defend their city and so she basically goes by herself there is a sex element, right? Like totally. Uh, maybe they don't have sex, but she does kind of like seduce she's, him at least yeah, into she, the tent, right? She to get him vulnerable. She seduces him. She did. She seduces him and then cuts his head off. Yeah, she gives him and, the old honey pot and then the slice. Yep. And so this is something, even if it's not in the Protestant Bible, that has been recreated by many prominent artists, including Artemisia Gentileschi, but before her, uh, Caravaggio. And then Goya and Klimt and several other artists did renditions of this. So this was sort of our inspiration for the piece. But wasn't Artemisia's the one that was like really showing her like kicking ass and like I'm slicing your head off. And the other ones were kind of like, oh no, if I have to. Or like they they painted her as much more like vulnerable. Well, there's different. Well, Caravaggio's yes and no. Yes and no. That's a complicated discussion. Yeah, correct, correct me, please. <laughs> that's a that's a complicated discussion. Perhaps for another episode. 
um, when we delve into the Judith, the representation of Judith in an art episode. Um, but long story short, just to focus on Artemisia Gentileschi, yes, hers is definitely the most dynamic and definitely draws influence from like the composition of Caravaggio's, but is much more intense and much more violent. And um, many surmise that this is because she was sexually assaulted by her teacher, I believe, um, who was a friend of her father's who was also an artist. And so the reason why I'm thinking of Artemisia for Ariana Occhipinti is because there's kind of this family relation. It's like a legacy. But Artemisia took, took something and made it that much more amazing and that much more intense. Because I do think that her her painting is much more interesting than Caravaggio's. I love Caravaggio. I love her... his I love his painting. I love his aesthetic. He was a crazy guy. Love him too. We'll have to do it. Wasn't her him. father a, like a famous artist too? Yeah. But then she's kind of the one that's remembered. Yeah. She, and unfortunately, she was way more hardcore. She was way more hardcore, and you know. Un- Unfortunately, she's probably more remembered because of this rape trial, but um, and everything surrounding it. But but also, I he was probably a kind of mediocre artist. So anyway, uh, so that's that's my thinking. I'm excited to record a couple other episodes now, but we're <laughs> we're gonna inspired. we're gonna we're gonna break off. Anyway, I was the music director. For oh this yeah, project. that's right. And and Winston was the music director, <clears throat> and we and we went upstate in New York, and we were and we performed it, and then we went on a date afterwards, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Let's see who should we talk about. We've already talked about Angela Osborne in the Ursula Le Guin episode. I do want to talk about her more at some point and her tribute to Grace Wines. Um, Angela Osborne being a a New Zealand-born winemaker who is making wine in Santa Barbara in California, working primarily with the Grenache grape. Um, she's she's amazing, and she's also a rock star in in the wine world, and also like found her niche. Like that's a very specific thing that she's doing that not a lot of people are doing, particularly in California. What is her niche? Working only with the Grenache grape, Uh. primarily, which is not... When you think of California, you don't think of Grenache. Grenache is actually the primary grape of the wine that we're drinking tonight. It's one of the primary grapes of the Rhone Valley in France. That's where it comes from. You also see Spanish Garnacha a lot, Mm. which is the same thing just in Spain. And Cananao in Sardinia. Yeah, there's your your fun fact of the day. I will say that when we were in Calistoga over Thanksgiving, I noticed... You know, because we were so privileged to go on these, like, a couple of tours of really amazing wineries. But mm-hmm. we were we were always talking to women the whole time. They weren't necessarily in charge. But even the women we talked to who were basically, like, reps for the winery and who were, like, mm-hmm. tour guides and stuff, they were, they were multi-generational. Like, it's yeah. so weird how... It's retained this almost feudal nature, the winemaking profession, like guilds kind of, and you're born into this thing and tied to the land in like a weird, in a way that, you know, I noticed it a lot in wine country in California. Um, And a lot of these people were like, yeah, you know, I I commute from 30 miles away because I can't afford to live in this fancy wine town, but like my family's been doing this for three generations and... That's what I want to do. And so there were all these people who were, like, studying enology and selling wine 
you know, for their job. And it was it was just kind of a fascinating cultural experience. Absolutely. And that's something that happens in Italy and France and anywhere that winemaking has been happening for a long amount of time. South Africa, interestingly enough, is uh, dates back to the winemaking tradition in South Africa, I think, dates back to like the 15th century, which I didn't realize that it that that's been going on so long in South Africa. And speaking of South Africa, I wanted to talk about a, a winemaker who I found out a little bit about recently, though I haven't, at least not to my knowledge, tasted any of her wines. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher her name. Um, but Nitsiki Biela is her name. And she is the head winemaker for um, Aslina Wines in South Africa. And she, that's her own, that's her own label, but she used to be a winemaker for Stella Kaya wines and making her the first black female winemaker in South Africa, which is dope, pretty cool. And I really want to learn more about her and I really want to try her wines and, you know, just totally immerse myself because my, my current goal in life is to find more people of color in general working in working in the wine industry and especially women because yeah especially after seeing black panther a couple of weekends ago <laughs> and spoiler alert the best part of black panther is not black panther it is the women in the movie oh totally and well, um, i i did think killmonger was really good the villain's really good yeah yeah yeah. Too. he's Michael he's good he's good but he's still not i i think i don't think he's yeah. nearly as interesting yeah. as lupita nyong'o's character yeah, nakia I nakia think is, is nakia. the hero of the film in many many ways and general okoye general okoye yes oh my god I, I, I want to go see it again like, no, right now. I'm, I'm sure you've all seen it a million times, but it's it's so, so, so good. And just like the celebration of African culture and, and the importance of that right now. And I, it's something that I want to see. You know, it's, it's like it's a huge deal to have representation Afri- representation and and you know we we finally got it in a marvel movie why can't we see it in the wine world as much that yeah. is that is my challenge to you yeah wine on, world get on board everybody get on board the the era of mediocre white men is coming to an end but yeah nitsiki biela she sounds amazing and i want to learn all so much more about her if you know if you know about her please send me information um, I'm going to be seeking out her wines, so we'll we'll circle back. Also, just like as a as an aside, I did a documentary on Nelson Mandela at one point, um, working with A and E and some uh, some pretty bomb South African dudes uh, who went on to make the movie Narco Cultura and then a movie called Trophy about trophy hunting and its mm. culture and economy. But Nelson Mandela was surrounded by these incredibly powerful wom- women. His mm-hmm. ex wife did a, a huge amount to like protect his legacy and i mean she's a controversial figure because she's like on the more radical end of the anc the african national conference but also um his longtime assistant for like 30 40 years or whatever was a, a white afrikaner woman named zelda who was a huge helper to us um while we were doing the documentary and like nelson mandela 
I mean, I don't know how much he elevated these women, but he was surrounded by these women in power who never really got What credit. man isn't? Right. Sorry. No, no. I, 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 I think that's the point. But, um, yeah. But just, just, you know, the old man, like this, this godlike kind of demigod figure of Mandela, he still was dependent on these incredibly powerful, incredibly strong women who surrounded him at all times. If I may quote one of my favorite songs of all time, um, voiced by Aretha Franklin and Annie Lennox, behind every great man, there has to be a great woman. That actually, so if you don't know, that's from uh, one of the greatest songs ever made called uh, Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. And uh, it is sung by Aretha Franklin and Annie Lennox, two of the greatest vocalists, I think, of the past century. And uh, it's amazing. And I grew up... If you, if you need to understand anything about me, that was my favorite song when I was five years old. And uh, <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> so I would play that, I, that... That whole Aretha Franklin album, Who's Zoom and Who, I would play that on repeat. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so before I've got, uh, you know, maybe one or two more women winemakers to talk about. But before we do, you were talking about something really interesting before that I wanted to touch on, which is um, the representation of women in kind of films and pop culture right now. It, it, do you remember what you were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you go for it. Um, so it's International Women's Day. So like you do, um, I was watching YouTube videos of uh, sci-fi heroines kicking ass. And the first one I watched was Ripley, uh, Lieutenant Ellen Ripley yes. from the Alien franchise in the power loader. It's like a walking robot forklift kind of thing, and she uses it to fight the alien queen that has, like, sto stowed away on their ship in the movie Aliens, right? And, um, again, uh, acknowledging the irony, I, uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, my friend Rafael Gamboa, who does an amazing series of uh, video essays on movies called The Long Take. But they are amazing. Yeah, but yeah. he he does uh, one for each of the Alien movies, and in the first Alien movie, in Alien, like Ripley is like she's a woman, she but she's treated as a man, and then and it's 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 all about kind of how like you can't trust authority, and you definitely can't trust like traditional male heroes, and like Ripley's the only one who knows what's going on the whole time and can like figure it out and survive because she's just tough as nails and she's independent. In Aliens, she takes on this mother role because hmm. they find this refugee child in, uh, in the middle of the space station that's of course infested with aliens and you know, horror and drama and violence ensues, but she becomes this weird, like, battle mother, right? Like, she, she's put into the Madonna role because she's still not, like, sexualized. But, um, but it's in this context of, like, oh, she's a mother. Mm -hmm. so, so that's okay. So we're okay with that because, yeah, she's fighting and she's way tougher than all these men, but we're okay with it because she's doing it to defend a little girl, her adopted mm -hmm. daughter. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about that, and then I watched the um, the end of Terminator 2, where Sarah Connor is fighting the T-1000. 
and it's almost the exact same thing. Yeah. It's like they spend all this time building up Sarah Connor as this super powerful, you know, because in the first one, she's she's just a mother. She's just like a pregnant lady that the robot or the, the dude has to defend from the evil robot. In the second one, she's this hardened, like, veteran, you know, she busts out of the psychiatric hospital, and she's super ripped, and I mean, it's an amazing performance in a great movie, but but there's this scene at the end where, like, the big bad robot, she, like, confronts him as he's about to kill her son, who's supposed to be, like, the messiah, John Connor, mm-hmm. um, and she's just, like, her one of her arms is all, like, messed up because he stabbed her in it, the robot, and she's just, like, pumping the shotgun with one arm and, like, shooting him, shooting him, shooting him until he gets, like, almost to the edge of this, um, like, molten steel pit that she's going to shoot him in. And then she runs out of bullets. And, like, it looks like they're totally screwed. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger as, like, this half, you know, destroyed remnants of the Terminator, he, like, kind of comes out of nowhere, deus ex machina, and shoots the dude with, like, a grenade that explodes him into the thing. But it's that same kind of deal where it's like, oh, we're we're comfortable with women being badass in these very safe contexts mm-hmm. of, like, you know, and so, like, I guess a couple other ones I thought of is, like, you know, we're okay with um, Inara in Firefly mm-hmm. being being badass because literally she is a courtesan. Um, but then what do you what do you think about Kaylee? Do you think that she is is does she play the maternal role a little bit more cuz she's No, I think Gina Torres plays the maternal role and Kaylee is like hypersexed. It's almost like mm. cuz Kaylee's always talking about like how she wants to get it on. Yeah, and, I guess that's I guess stuff. that's true, but I don't think it's in the traditional way and she's not sexualized. I don't think. I think I think that she's. Maybe not. I I I would argue that Firefly breaks some of the tropes, and even more so than like Buffy and definitely Angel do. Um, I think that Firefly sure. represents women. I think that the main female characters like between River, Zoe, Inara, and Kaylee, there none of them are the traditional representation of women as mother or. I mean, Inara, in, Inara, I think, is kind of the weakest character in many ways. Um, or not the weakest, but she's, she needed more time like, 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 well, but also <laughs> to be fully fleshed out. Isn't Kaylee kind of the maiden, but, but mm. they tweak it by having her like know about and want sex? Like, that's good. I, I think that's, that's a progressive mm. writing step. I don't know. But... I don't know. I'd have to think about it a little more, but I think that Kaylee is, is a really interesting character because she's like, yeah, she's kind of like the dumb, ditzy little girl, but also she knows everything about yeah. machines. She's kind of like, uh, what's her name? Mona, I mean, uh, Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny. You know, oh, that's a good You point. know, like, it, 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 it's it's this idea of women. It's It's, I think, purposefully putting certain imposing certain stereotypes on women to break them i think and actually, i think you bring up my cousin Vinny. i hadn't thought about that yeah. i think that's actually a radical departure from that traditional characterization totally totally and i and I, I don't know that's that's more what i think of for kaylee than like than that she's like the traditional maiden and oh, yeah. i don't Good know point. like i said firefly was ended way before its time so it's it's hard to say true could have been or should have been we're all still sad 
We are all almost still twenty sad. years later. Yeah, and um, also, and also, I mean, this is another episode that we talked about with a different person. In case this episode hasn't been released, I won't say with who, but um, but Battlestar Galactica and like Starbuck is again a huge departure from from yeah. certain stereotypes. So she's great, but one, um, and I think also Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman is a great and example. And Charlie's of Theron in Atomic yeah. Blonde. And Charlie's Theron, yeah. And but they they both have different like Gal Gadot's really innocent in Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and but I think that's the one traditional tropey kind of thing because otherwise I think she she breaks out a lot. She's not uber sexualized. She's not like wise old. But crone. there's but there's a lot of movies I think where but she is the... infantilized in certain scenes, and that's a lot of where the comedy of the movie comes from. Is right the fish out of water like. Right. I don't understand that women aren't allowed in here, you know. Like, right, right. And, and I think that's, I see the equivalence being more that, like, if you watch, if, if Wonder Woman were Wonder Man, mm-hmm. it would be very similar, you know, except, like, the the man being like, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, it, it's, it's a similar, it follows a superhero trope more than it follows a, like, women stereotype trope I think which is awesome I think but one thing I think is an example that we don't talk about enough is like I love the movie Mad Max the new one Fury Mm -hmm. Road right Mm -hmm. and Charlize Theron in that is so badass but again I think she falls into this category of the battle mother right Mm -hmm. because she's rescuing all the other like concubine women she's like she even kind of helps to raise up Max in a little way like it's very much her movie it should be called. Oh, entirely. It should be called Furiosa, um, but entirely. And that's, I mean, that's why it's called Fury Road. Right. But like, uh, but she is the mother of this weird ragtag family, right. and her badassery is all in this context of like a maternal urge to protect or something like that. Or at least it, it, I, I think you could see it that because way. Because I think you could see it that way. I think you could see it in a different way as well. Um, because you could also see it as her just being the leader of this band of women sure. rebelling. And I and I don't think one is necessarily more true than the other. Um, I think there's yeah. also the fact that she's dism- she's partially dismembered. Right. You know, like she's right. missing yeah, an yeah, arm. Yeah, yeah. And so that is an because interesting she's thing. not a whole woman, if I were, she's more independent or something like if that. You're, if you're in college and you're a film student, do me a favor and uh, write your paper on female dismemberment in uh, in film. Because I haven't thought about this before, but talking about Sarah Connor and Furiosa in Mad Max, I'm like, I'm curious to see where else this happens and what what that means. And and I'm not entirely equipped to talk about it right now, and I don't think we should necessarily talk about it right now. I mean, but, it's a huge tangent. Yeah, it's, it's a huge I, tangent. I, I took a whole Sarah Lawrence class that talked about stuff like that. I yeah, mean, exactly. I read whole There's books m- on like women's hair and what that means. Absolutely, and... absolutely. Which is why I'm I'm jealous of all of you who are still in college and, and yeah. able and able to do that. So so do that for me. But but just to just to bring this back, I, I do want to talk about maybe yeah, one yeah, or two. Sorry, I I didn't mean to. No, take no, no. Us too far into the weeds. I told you. I told you to. I gave you permission. <laughs> There's at least one more woman that I want to talk about. And again, I want to go into more detail with all of these women winemakers who I've talked about and women in wine who I've talked about. Right, but if I pour myself a little bit more of this dope wine. Um, yes, if you can do so without spilling on all of our electrical equipment. Mm. You making a promise, sis? 
We'll see. Okay. That seems pretty safe. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> Winston has a heavy hand. So this last woman that I want to talk about who is amazing, um, her name is Laura Catena. If you're familiar at all with Argentine wine, you might have heard of Catena. Catena is probably the biggest producer in Argentina, and they're the, or by biggest, I mean sort of most uh, established, most well-known. They're, they're the producer that really put Malbec on the map for Argentina, so to speak. And Laura Catena is the current, um, the the current, she's not the head winemaker, but she, she owns Catena. She's the, she's the head of Catena. And, um, she's also a doctor. Let me just, let me just find all of her, her, her creds, her creds. She was born in Mendoza in Argentina and, um, she, but she graduated from Harvard and she has a medical degree from Stanford. Um, she's the general director of Bodega Catena Zapata and her own winery as well as, um, uh, but she also lives in California and is a practicing emergency medicine physician. Um, in her spare time. You know, in her spare time. <laughs> and So basically, she is the Renaissance woman and is the most amazing, accomplished. It's just, it's like astounding to me how, how fabulous she is. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about her a little bit. I wanted to mention her um, because we haven't talked a lot about Argentine wine or South American wine yet. And that's a huge area that I'm, that is hugely lacking and I definitely want to talk about more Argentina Chile. Kitty is curled up behind our other microphone right now. She's adorable. She's been True. sleeping the whole time. Her floof is soft. <laughs> and her belly rubable. Indeed. Bonus points to you if you can uh, tell us what that's from. So so anyway, so Laura Catena, kind of this amazing Renaissance woman. She's She's like who I want to be. Right. Except without the doctor stuff. I don't want to be a doctor, but I want to do a lot of... I mean, if I were a doctor, that would be pretty cool. At this point in my life, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm pretty sure. Not a doctor. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, just to have that breadth and depth of knowledge and skill is is sort of one of my goals in life, to be able to say that I am not just one thing, but many things. As is everyone, as is everyone. One of my, here, I'm just going to go off a little tangent right now, but one of my problems with modern society, um, and possibly, possibly all society, I don't know, um, not all society, but is that there's this need to codify and define oneself as one thing. And I think that that's hugely detrimental to our mental health and our enjoyment of life. Especially and, in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. uh, well, maybe especially everywhere, but I certainly I think everywhere, but, experience yeah. it, and definitely women experience it, of like, well, you have to decide what type you are. Like, are you the funny best friend? My thing was like, I'm, I, I'm like a light heavy, and it was this weird area where they were like, yeah, you're like the bad guy. You're like the sleazy douchebag. And I was like, I'm okay with that, but I was like, I, well... But we train to do so many things, and right. as soon as you get into the real world, they're like, "Nope, brand yourself and stick to that brand." Well, I quickly part of why I've I've stuck I've I'm more excited about doing voiceover is that I still haven't grown into my quote unquote type as an actor because my type is the mother, is the older 
kind of more mature woman and I'm I'm 28 years old and I'm only just like maybe reaching the point where I might be able to be cast in such a role. Um, in college, I was hugely successful because I went to Wesleyan and they let me play men. Um, <laughs> well, and I was one of the few passably heterosexual males that said Sarah Lawrence in the theater program. Yeah, so, it, so you, know, but, you take what you can get. But anyway, I, I like part of one. I think a huge gift to me in my life, just just closing this out, is that I have been able to marry my my love of acting and my love of wine these past many years, um, mostly because of voiceover and, um, and, um, and also working in wine and working in wine retail and my lovely, all of my lovely bosses who, uh, support me and are willing to give me the time off to go pursue my other passions. And, um, and I'm incredibly grateful for that because not everybody gets that. And I think that should be a thing that is more readily accessible to more people. You should be able to be a lawyer and be able to, you know, have to to perform music or to play or to, you know, be in a be in a show or something like that. Or to be a doctor and own a winery. And, you know, and I I, I just think that's it's something to strive for and something that we don't value much. We value focus. Well, I also think the the voiceover and podcasting community specifically is an inspirational, inclusive, and supportive community. Absolutely. And so uh, just viewing it from, like, your time in Wolf 359 and all that stuff, I have to say, like, if you can find a community like that, like a community of somewhat like-minded, supportive people... Like, they're out there, and if you can find them, you know, Chris Hardwick on his podcast is always talking about, like, just make your thing, make your thing, make your thing. And I think that's that's a, that's a good advice to a point, but that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It, exactly. It's, it's, good advo- it's good advice in, if, you're, if you're Chris Hardwick and you're, you know, a rich, successful, straight white man and can just go ahead and make your thing. But the, the sentiment... Is good, and I have often quoted. I, I love, I love you, Chris Hardwick. I'm sorry. That I was, do too. That was man. mean. Um, You're awesome. But and I and I often quote him, and I I actually was inspired by the Nerdist or now ID10T uh, podcast that uh, just kind of inspires you to 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 do it, and um and I think and I think that we should all feel inspired and empowered to make our thing and to do our thing and uh and you're right the podcasting community is one in which it is not necessarily easy but it is much more possible and there's a huge network of support here which is amazing i i think finding that support is almost import as important as the courage to put yourself out there i think they kind of yeah. go hand in hand because you know you can't if i can get really sappy and use a crappy metaphor like you can't plant a seed in a bunch of gravel yeah and expect it Which, to grow most uh of the time. interestingly just to just to, some wine vines can well well yeah 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 just to tie it back real quick we're talking about cotarone which is what we're drinking um, the most reg- the most famous region in the southern rhone valley is chateauneuf de pop which is famous for its gravelly soils but that being said <laughs> your metaphor 
Yes, yes. <laughs> Somewhat. Somewhat. Yeah, um, but we understood. <laughs> but yeah, if you're listening to this and you've got an idea for a thing and you're lacking a support network, please reach out to us and we'll do whatever we can to help you make your thing. We totally will. Yeah. We will bounce your signal. We will give you the feedback that you want. Like, that's that's what it is. It's uh, so much of the world runs on handshakes and high fives. Totally. <laughs> I like high fives more than handshakes, personally. I feel it. Yeah. All right. Well, happy International Women's Day. Cheers, everybody. That sound really lasts a long time. Hi, beautiful. She's talking to the cat, by the way, not me. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's International Women's Day, Wednesday. I know. I know. <laughs> was created and produced by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and tonight I was joined by Winston Shaw. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please visit our blog on our website at thepairingpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. Feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, cheers. Cheers.